Well, good morning, Anthem. And I uh, also want to say welcome to any guests who are joining us online. Uh, just want to start with this. It's an honor that you would decide to uh, spend your Sunday morning with us. So thank you for joining us. And so good morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, specifically the pastor for teaching and equipping. And uh, as I just said in the intro, uh, Stan was talking to me. Uh, I, I hope this shelter in place thing is going well for you. Probably for me, it's going a, a little too well. I'm kind of embarrassed actually by how well it's going. Um, I'm, I'm what the Enneagram, or not the Enneagram, but the uh, Myers-Briggs calls a, uh, an INTJ, which means uh, that I'm an extreme introvert. And uh, so this has actually been great. I'm, I'm the guy that the HR department warns you about when they hire. Uh, and so this has been great. And, uh, but I, I hope that you're finding just peace, comfort, joy in Christ this morning. And, and I hope that this morning as we sing, as we remember the, uh, what Christ has accomplished for us and these truths that we can take hold of, I, I, my prayer has been that this would be a great encouragement to you. And, and, and that being said, I think this is really the first week when probably for many of you, this whole pandemic has really landed home personally. Uh, I know for myself, uh, this is the first week where it's hit a family member close to us. Uh, and this is probably, if nothing else, in the week ahead, um, probably this will only get more, uh, more of an intimate reality, a personal reality, something uh, we all know someone who is struggling with this. And so uh, one of the things that's, that's difficult about this time, it, it's, it's kind of crazy, because in some ways, it's weird that we have to almost like wait, and there's almost nothing we can do, but at the same time, we're, we're just not sure what is ahead, and what the days, what the weeks, what the months ahead will look like. And, you know, as we've entered this, I, I've thought back often to kind of this picture of, of what this is like, because I think as it's come at us, it's kind of like the first time that you get into a car and you learn how to drive. Uh, I, I remember when I first, uh, I remember I, I was excited to learn how to drive, and, and leading up to it, I remember I was very confident, like, uh, uh, I'll be great at this. When I get into the car, man, I've seen people doing this my whole life in movies. I've seen my parents doing this, driving me around, and I'm going to get behind the wheel, and it's just going to be, uh, I'm just going to cruise through this. And, and then when I actually got into the car, I remember with a, a friend's dad, I got into the car, and, and, and all of a sudden, I, I, I took hold of the wheel, and I realized just the weightiness of this. Uh, how much outside of the car was outside of my control, how fast things come at you as I start going. And, and, I, and I did what every first-time driver does, which was I, almost, I kind of I hunched up like I was a 90-year-old like lady uh, driving, and I drove about five miles an hour, and I just stared at the edge of the hood, right? Right there where the hood kind of meets the road, because what you do is you stare at what's right in front of you, and you focus there. And I remember, I, I just, after a while, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. And we, uh, my, my friend's dad said, hey, pull, just pull over for a minute. And he said, listen, just take a moment, catch your breath. And once you catch your breath, what I want you to do when we begin driving is I want you to look up you to focus ahead, you know, focus on the horizon. And I, as I did that, then I, I found that that's the key to actually being able to navigate all the things outside of your control and, and just navigate through what's coming at you. And I think that, that that's what I want this morning to be. I think there's a lot of us that when this even was coming a week ago, we're like, oh man, I got this. Like, I, I have an idea in my head of what this would be like. And 
this weight is hitting us and it's overwhelming us. And it's kind of like we're all kind of hunched up, driving the car of our life, just like looking at what's right in front of us and it's overwhelming us. And we're all just like, I'm, I'm done with this. I, I want to tap out of this thing. And all these anxieties begin welling up and all these, just this sense of being overwhelmed and, and the fact, the reality that life isn't in our control, but the weight of that is hitting now in a way that unless you're 103 years old and you experience the Spanish flu, it's never, no human being has ever been able to experience this. And, and so what I want to do this morning is I just want to say, let's pause Let's pull over for a little bit and let's look up because what we're going to see in today's passage in Acts 8 is that there are some profound truths, some big truths that we need to be able to take hold of and focus on as we navigate through this thing in the next, in the coming days and weeks and months. And so what we're going to see today in Acts 8, starting in verse 26, is we're going to look at God is with you. And then next, we're going to see that God will work through you. And then lastly, we'll see that God will provide. Before we jump in, let's, let's ask the Lord just to bless this time in his word. Heavenly Father, I, Lord, the words of Psalm 91 ring through this time. And they're so fitting when the psalmist says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Therefore, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Lord, we ask that this morning, that that reality, that truth, that those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High will abide in your shadow, will abide in your presence, that you are with us. Lord, let that truth sink in in a very tangible way. Spirit, would you bring that truth through your word and help it not just land in our heads, but get down into our hearts, into our bones. Lord, so that our cry might be, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Lord, we give you our hearts. We give you this situation, Lord. We relinquish it. We open our hands and we say, Lord, give us hope. Give us joy. Give us boldness in the midst of this. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first, again, God is with you in this. Look at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, if you've been following with us so far in the book of Acts, uh, in these first eight chapters, we've, we've seen uh, kind of God moving his church outward, his Holy Spirit driving the church outward. And one of those men who is really filled with God's Spirit is a really well-spoken communicator, is able to tell people about who God is and what he's done and introduce them to these basic realities and, and tell them about uh, who Jesus Christ is. And as he does that, many, many people respond. And we just saw last week this kind of highlighted time when, when Philip speaks and multitudes respond. And what's interesting is then immediately after he brings the crowds in and he draws them to, into the church, then immediately God sends him away from the crowds and out into a desert. 
And the text even drives this home because it, after it says he drove him out, it says then just very starkly, this is a desert place. Just to slow down and say, this is a desert place. This is a food with no water. This is a place with no, no food, no shelter from the burning sun, no comforts, nothing as far as the eye can see. Now, we could understand if Philip struggled to trust that God had a plan in the midst of this. We could understand if he found this to be daunting, if this, if this felt scary, if it felt like this was completely something out of his control. Overwhelmed by the fact that there was so much uncertainty ahead of him. And here's the thing. I think right now we can very acutely sympathize with Philip if he felt that way. Because right now, I think we find ourselves in a different kind of desert. God has us in a different kind of desert, a desert called a pandemic. It's daunting. It's scary. It's uncertain. That, lack, or that sense of control is completely gone. And the road ahead is uncertain. You know, when I've, I've driven around a little bit this week as I've had to go out and since they've issued the shelter-in-place order here, and it's interesting, we, used, we just moved from Southern California and we used to have to drive through Death Valley, and it reminds me all of a sudden driving around like driving through the old ghost towns and mining towns in the middle of the desert that they emptied. Deserts are, it feels like that. It's almost, almost this waste, almost like life is struggling in this place. It feels like a desert out there. And, and probably uh, inside of you, everything in you says, I, I really, God, I really, can you just pull this out of this? I, I don't want to be in the midst of this. I don't want any part of this. And that's why it's, I, I'm, I'm honestly stunned with Philip's response because he sees that it's this desert place and in verse 27, then it says, immediately he rose and he went. Now, again, my guess is that Philip has reservations. Philip's human. And so he probably had anxieties and he knew the risk. But, but I think the reason why Philip's able to go and just trust God heading out into a desert, which imagine going into the desert in the ancient world, let alone how daunting it can be sometimes just to drive through it in the modern world. But I think he knew, he knew the risk, but I think he knew something else as well. I think Philip knew this wasn't the first time God sent his people into a desert or into a wilderness. We, we know that Philip knew his Bible because of how he's preaching and what he's proclaiming, which tells us God, um, in the Bible, we see that God sent his people often again and again out into desert places. And, and, and specifically, we've seen sermons, specifically uh, Peter and Stephen throughout Acts so far, where they highlight and focus on one of those times, specifically with Moses in the desert and for 40 years with Israel. And so we know that Philip is aware of these other times in the desert. And Philip knew God could have snapped his fingers. If you think about it, God's probably wondering, couldn't God just snap his fingers and just have brought them out of the desert? Why are they in this desert for 40 years? Years. Why does God lead his people through these times that feel like a desert? 
There, there are many things, and we have to be careful about jumping in and being able to explain the mystery of, of what God is doing and his plan and his, his, his providence. But at the same time, Scripture does make it clear that in that time, it was a time God used to strip them of everything they clung to that wasn't him. Everything that gave them a sense of control, that sense of peace, that sense of safety, that sense of comfort, anything they grabbed onto that wasn't him, that ultimately would fail them. God wants them to realize how fading those things are so that they would latch onto him because, and the reason why he wants us to let go of those things is because he wants to see us to see them for what they are. There are many good things in life. But he says, but those things are meant to point to me. The comforts they give you are meant to point to my comfort. The joy they give you are meant to point to my joy. The joy that you'll ultimately have forever in me, in knowing me. And so God helps his people to let go of those things because they're meant to point to him. They're meant to be a foretaste of him so that they would hold on to them and engage with those things rightly. And they'd be redemptive things, not enslaving things. And God says, what I'm pointing you to in these things is something even better, something these things give you a forced taste of, which is my presence. Again and again and again in the wilderness, in the Old Testament, when God, whenever he sends his people into the desert, whether it was Abraham, whether it was even back to Adam and Eve, they were sent from God's presence, but they were still sent with his promises. And Abraham is sent out to with God's presence saying, I will be with you. And then he comes to his people in the time in the desert and says, I will be with you. And then when they're sent into exile, he says, I will be with you again and again and again. He leads them into desert places so they would learn, I am with you. You can know me. I will not abandon you. And, and here's the thing. I don't think we can look at that truth too much while we're navigating this whole thing. I don't think we can remind ourselves of that truth too much. We need that truth to stabilize us. Like, yes, this feels like a desert. But remember, it, it has always been precisely in the deserts of life that God draws nearest to his people because as they realize how fleeting everything around them, how unstable everything is, how much everything is fading and their lack of control of their life, when they come to the end of themselves, God's people begin to come to the beginning of him and truly realize his grace and his goodness. God is with you. He will not forsake you in the midst of this. Listen, God did not save you from the pandemic of sin only to abandon you to the pandemic of COVID-19. Do you hear that God has you in his hand? God is with you. He will not abandon you. He has already saved you from a pandemic that was far greater than this pandemic. And he has saved you forever out of that pandemic. There are sure enough uncertain things in the midst of this, but this one thing is not uncertain. That he is with you in the midst of this. That's the first truth. God is with you. But the second truth to take hold of is that God will work 
through you. Now, look at verse 27, continuing in the passage. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. See, what's interesting about this eunuch, and we don't know exactly, eunuch is a little bit ambiguous in the Greek, whether uh, what exactly that means, but it means definitely he could not have children. And because he was a eunuch, he was able to serve the queen because she, he was not a threat to her. And so at this point, though, he is someone who has a lot of security. He's someone who has, clearly has a lot of wealth, who, who, has a lot of, uh, who has a lot of status. This is something that he had in the ancient world that not many people had. And yet, here's the thing, he was searching for more. Look at verse 28. It says, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. See, he went to Jerusalem, and we don't know exactly why he went to Jerusalem, but he went there, and he's seeking. And he knows that there's something more that that he's looking for. That all this status, that all this wealth, all these comforts, they actually aren't enough. And there's something he's still missing. And I, I think that's something that we can all really identify with. You know, uh, David Foster Wallace, who wrote Infinite Jest, has kind of become a, a, an instant modern classic um, before he died. And, and he, he himself was not a Christian. Uh, but when addressing uh, students who were graduating from Kenyon College back in 2005, he had this to say about this really deep human dynamic of constantly yearning and searching for something more. He says this, he says, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body in beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. See, what Foster Wallace is putting into words here is what's going on in the eunuch soul. What is he's tapping into for his life? The thing that he's plugging himself into and trying to find life and significance and meaning and purpose from is failing him. It's not enough. And here's the thing. I think in this time, this is going to be something that's acutely felt all around us. I think it starts here, we should say. But this is probably something that we're all wrestling with. We're realizing we have all these comforts. We really have a ton of security. We really, and there's just this one thing that's threatening us. And we realize, am I really finding life in God? Or is there something in this world that's providing that life for me? But the thing is, all around us, the things that we thought we could tap our lives into that would give us that sense of significance and meaning and security, the security of good health, the sense of achievement from a stable job, the sense of being in control, the comfort of safety, all these things are fading. We, we can't hold on to them. It's like trying to hold on to sand. And when they are gone, who are we? See, this, this isn't the time. It's a little... 
A little bit of a side note here because of how Philip is going to respond to the Ethiopian eunuch here. But friends, this is not a time to be responding out there with mockery or, or to be making light of, the, of other people's experience around us. Listen, our, our world is crashing, and if this world is all you have, then everything is crashing. So, of course, everyone is going to begin frantically pulling out whatever can give them that little sense of hope. It's like trying to lap up the dirt because there's a little bit of cinnamon in it. It gives you just this little bit of a feeling that, oh, maybe this will be the thing. And then after a little bit, it fails. We're grabbing on to escape through entertainment, maybe for a little bit. And then after a few days, you know how that is. You feel like a zombie. That couldn't quite comfort my soul. And then, and then we try to almost like jump into getting control through maybe, I don't know, like things like political debate online. And maybe for a day, you're passionate. It makes you feel alive. And then after that, that sense of control just begins to fade. Right now, by the way, things, sites like Pornhub are doing very, very well. Because that sense of trying to find comfort is fading. And yet people are latching onto it, hoping that this will finally be the thing that my heart is looking for. And that's exactly when God wants to work through you. See, Paul's gonna say it like this later in Acts. In Acts 17, 26 through 27, follow what he says here. He says, and he made one man from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. See, right now, everyone around you is not on your news feed, your neighbors immediately around you. They're not there by accident. See, God has placed them there, and in the midst of their searching for God, it says they're feeling, they're grabbing at things, hoping maybe this is God, and they're feeling along, hoping this, will, this next thing, this will be God. Is this God? Is this God? Is this the thing that my soul is really looking for? Is this the ultimate thing? And they're reaching along, and God says, I have you in their life, on their newsfeed there, because I want you to be the one who takes their hand and says, I know what you don't know you are looking for. God wants to work through you in this time. They're trying to take hold of something. And you have it. You have the greatest news in the world. A vaccine will come, but salvation is already here. And you have that message of salvation listen, it, it will probably be awkward. Here, here's the interesting thing for, for, with Philip here, and hopefully this encourages you like it did me. Read, uh, look at verse 29. It says, and the spirit said to Philip, go over there and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? You know, what's interesting here is it seems like Philip, God's like, hey, see that chariot over there? It's probably kind of like horses or, or oxen pulling like a cart. And, and so it's moving about like jog, but you can imagine Philip runs up and God's like, go up to that. And Philip's kind of running along it for a while. And he's like, oh, okay, God, I'm here. And it's kind of like that time when you're in like Starbucks and you're sitting there, there's a conversation at the table next to you and you're overhearing it a little bit and you're going like, should I, should I enter this? Should I, should I offer like a word here? Because I, I, I think I can respond to this. And he's kind of awkwardly running beside it. And right now I think it's going to feel like that on your newsfeed. 
As things are coming in, you're going to see these conversations alongside it digitally. You're going to be like, should, should I enter into this? Could, could I say a word here? Could I maybe offer a word of hope? Not a word of just debate, but say, hey, listen, I, I think what might be going on here, could we maybe talk offline? Because I think there might be something here that you're, you're looking for. And what's, what I would say is during this time, it's okay to be awkward. This whole thing is awkward. This right now is awkward. I feel awkward. You should feel awkward engaging life, blood, and flesh human beings digitally. But right now, God has us there, and that's a meeting we can engage in. Be willing to step into the awkwardness. Because here's the thing, God loves again and again and again. If there's one thing when you read your Bible you should come away with is God loves to show his might through a bunch of bumbling people. And so the good news is right now you have a message where that can be you bumbling in there and saying, hey, could I share this with you? But you have that message of salvation. And right now, so many are reaching. So don't, when you see it, think first, oh man, how can I just rip into these people? How foolish are you? How stupid are you? How blind are you? But to enter into it and say, listen, I think this may be what your heart is searching for. See, and what God does, and one thing that helps us do that is to use scripture. Be ready with scripture. Now, right now, we first need to be, this starts at home. We need to be processing all our hearts and our souls right now before the Lord, honestly. Going before him and saying, this is what's coming out of me, Lord. And processing that through scripture. And then, then we'll be prepared to help others with scripture. And so one of the things I know again and again, we keep saying like, read your Bible. You should read your Bible. I know you're hearing that a lot. I'm quarantined, so I should read my Bible all the time. Apparently now we're all monks, right? And so, but here's the thing. Probably some of you are going, no one's ever shown me how to read my Bible. So one of the things we'll be doing next week, Stan talked about this when he was hosting before, is next week sometime, I haven't set the time yet. Tomorrow I'll figure that out and I'll email out. We are going to be conducting what's called a Bible workshop. I've been doing these for about 10 years. I, I'm passionate about the Word of God. I would love to come alongside you. Just as Philip says here, you might be saying, hey, how can I understand this thing unless someone guides me? That's in verse 31. How can I understand this thing unless someone guides me? I was there. I was trying to read my Bible, and I was like, I don't understand this thing. Are you guys reading this? And so when somebody sat down with me and showed me, here's some basic tools to begin to understand God's word. And so um, we call it a Bible workshop. If there's going to be a sign up in the comments section here, uh, you can click that and sign up. We'll post it again at the end. Also, if you sign up to connect uh, further here at Anthem uh, at the beginning, then what we'll do is we'll also send an email tomorrow with further steps for that. But I encourage you to spend this time, get the tools to be in God's word, not just for your own heart, though, but also so that God can work through you. And here's the thing, because I want you to watch how God sets this up. He just puts the ball in the tee for Philip when he's talking to this eunuch. Because as they follow God's word, the eunuch discovers what he's been looking for this entire time. Because look at verse 32, starting in verse 32. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. And this passage that I'm going to read is at the molten hot core of the Old Testament of God telling his people how he was going to deal with the pandemic of sin, how he's going to get rid of sin and how he's going to, what he's going to do with that. And it says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for he, his life is taken away from the earth. 
And what he sees there is it says, goes on to say that he, he, he started there and he points him to Jesus. And what happens is uh, Philip starts to take him through scripture and lo and behold, God, when he comes to God's word is sufficient to address the very thing that the eunuch is desiring. Cause this is what's gonna happen three chapters later in Isaiah. In Isaiah 56 then it says this, and let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who give my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Can you imagine? He's, he's sitting there randomly connected in the middle of a desert with a eunuch. And then when he sits down, the eunuch happens to be reading something that he will read a few chapters and he's going to have an, a direct address to a eunuch. And it addresses exactly what the eunuch is desiring in his soul, which is I can't have children. And in the ancient world, that was your primary source of significance. When you get older, they take care of you. When your name is as good as your son's name, that's where your life is thought to be continuing. And what he says is, listen, God not only saved you from sin, but he also gives you a name and a new identity. And you are my child, but not only are you my child, but you will have a name that will last you forever. You are not insignificant but you can have significance that's beyond what you could ever imagine, which is to be my child and to have an eternal inheritance, a hope, a security, someone who you know delights in you and controls this whole thing. Friends, right now, that is exactly what so many around us need. It's what we need, it's what they need. Preach it to yourself and then let them hear this message. Open God's word, bumble through it, fumble through it and let God do profound things. God is with you and God also wants to work through you. And then the third and last truth, God will provide. God is with you, God will work through you and God will provide. One of the most difficult dynamics right now, and I feel this, sometimes I think as, as a pastor, people think somehow like, oh, we're immune, or we're just coming down and kind of delivering these things. I feel these things acutely as well. And one of those things I feel acutely that you probably share is just how overwhelming it kind of is and anxiety inducing it is that there's, it seems like there's so much uncertainty in the days ahead. Uncertainty about our health and the health of those we love or now what's beginning is the uncertainty of the economic fallout from this whole thing. So we need to keep our eyes up as we're driving through this, as we're journeying and navigating through this. We need to keep our eyes up to stay steady on this truth that God will provide. And what's interesting here is God provides for Philip and the eunuch in a really unique way, an interesting way. Read verse 36, it says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? You know, it, it's interesting. We often read this and we go, what? that's crazy that the eunuch like so suddenly would want to be baptized. And we forget that actually that's not the most surprising part about this. The most surprising part is the fact that they stumbled upon some water in the middle of a desert, right? I mean, how likely is that? Do you, do you know where there is not water? A desert. 
That is the very definition of a desert, that there isn't any water around. But we have a God who delights in providing water in the desert. We have a God who in the midst of deserts of lives provides water, the impossible, the unexpected. Because Anthem, where God guides, he always provides. Where God guides, he will provide. In the coming weeks, he will guide each of us in the situations unique to God's calling upon us, but also situations that are unique to us because we've probably never encountered them before. Some of you will walk into situations to serve neighbors. And you need to know as you step into that as a minister of the gospel that where God is guiding you, he will provide. Some of you will walk in the hospital rooms as nurses and doctors, and you need to know where God guides you, he will provide, he'll provide wisdom. Some of you will struggle financially and you need to remember that God provides. And some of you will fight to just keep your sanity in your house as you shelter in place and know God will provide peace and joy and patience. Our God delights in providing water in the desert. Where he guides, he will provide. Now, at the same time, why, why can we trust in these truths? Why can we trust in these truths of God is with you, God will work through you, God will provide? I, you know, when I, even as I say them, it, it kind of comes across like, is this just wishful thinking? Is this just kind of like, okay, let me set up a couple Christian coffee mugs here. Oh, this one, guess what it says? God is with you. This one, oh, that's cute too. It says God will work through you. Are these just kind of sentimental ideas that I'm just spouting off because they maybe make us feel better right now? I don't think so. But here's the reason why I know so. It's because it's rooted in a historical fact, and that's why baptism here is so significant. Because baptism says, you are now one with Jesus. God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came into the world, who came into this world to be with you, who sends you with a message to work through you, who provided himself when we deserved nothing. If you are one with Christ and you have been baptized, you've died to your sin and you are risen to new life with God. And that is exactly why these promises are true. And it's why they're sure. Because when Jesus was baptized, get this, when Jesus was baptized, he immediately rose up out of the waters, it says. God the Father and the Holy Spirit show up. A spirit descends like a dove, or, or the spirit descends like a dove. And the Father says, this is my son, behold, in who I am well pleased. God just thunders that. He overflows with delight in his son when he sees a picture of what his son is going to do to die for sins and rise again. And he over him and says, this is the one in whom I am well pleased. I love him. This is a new creation. This is a new reality. And then, here's what's interesting. In every account of Jesus' baptism, immediately after God overflows with delight, saying, I am well pleased, I love this one, he's delighting, that's my son, he sends him immediately into a desert. The very next verse. Now, why is that significant? Because it means being in a desert time like this isn't a sign of God's displeasure in you. If you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Christ 
in his righteousness. It's also not a sign that God has abandoned you. If you're covered by the blood of Christ, then God will not abandon you. But that even in the worst situation, the driest, most overwhelming, out of control desert, he is delighting in you. Let that sink in over the coming days, over the coming weeks, as you take the wheel and you navigate this thing, as you move through it, as you journey through it. And remember, look up and remind yourself that God is with you. God will work through you and God will provide because he delights in you as he does his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we, Lord, help these truths to sink in. Lord, to see that first and primarily, these are not just ideas that we like, religious ideas we like to make up and we like to tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. But these are realities rooted in what Christ has done. That because Christ has accomplished it, it cannot be defeated. Your promises are sure, they are secured in his finished work. And now, Lord, would you fill your people with strength, with peace, with patience, with boldness, and with love for their neighbors and one another. Lord, I, I, I picture Psalm 46 comes to mind, Lord, when you promise that you will be a refuge. As it says, when even the seas are fomenting and the waves are crashing and it feels like the very world we live in is melting away. You say, I will be a refuge. Lord, would you be a refuge to us in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the uncertainty? Would we put our feet firmly on these truths? And when we look ahead and focus on these truths, as we navigate through this and take your hand, for you are with us. We pray this in the name of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, this next song is a new one to many of us, but it's an old one. And so many of you may, this may be new to you, and I would recommend that you use that song sheet with the lyrics to sing along. But this song is called, He Will Hold Me Fast, and it gives us the words to respond to these truths. And so I invite you to join us and sing and praise God for these truths that he's given us in Christ.